Welcome to the second series of the Reworked Podcast, brought to you by Diversity Consultancy, EW Group. I'm Rachel Wilson, and every fortnight I'll be speaking to CEOs, HR leaders and workplace activists about the steps they are taking to reform and rework organisational culture. Today I'm in conversation with a woman who has made it to the very top of her profession. Until April 2018, Victoria Hills headed up the UK's largest regeneration project in West London. She is now Chief Executive of the Royal Town Planning Institute. We met in her office and I asked her to reflect on how she got where she is and what she'd learnt along the way. So Victoria, thank you so much for giving me some time today and uh, welcoming me to your offices the Royal Town thank you. Planning Please. Institute. You're very welcome. Um, so the RTPI, the largest planning institute in Europe, 25,000 members, um, and you're, as I understand it, responsible for maintaining professional standards, a membership body as well as um, a body that... A learned society. A learning society. Research as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I do want to know a little bit more about your journey through the industry, but maybe if we just start with the RTPI. What, um, what's the landscape as you see it in terms of gender in, in this sector? You've obviously got a sector overview in this organisation, so I know you've got about 9,500 female members and maybe 15,000 male. Yes. How does that break down? So, I mean... Well, the Royal Town Planning Institute, you say, we're the largest uh, professional um, planning body in, in Europe. We've never been bigger, actually. There's a real renaissance in professionalism for planning. Um, and interestingly, um, my early part of my career did actually start out in the RTPI because I was a student member, but perhaps we'll come back to mm-hmm. that. In terms of the industry overview, um, yes, we're up to about 40% members are... Uh, uh, female now and six uh, percent men, which is quite phenomenal if you think we're living with legacy decades of legacy of certain professions of which planning would have been very very male dominated up there with engineering architecture surveying for many decades to have gone to that sort of membership overview is uh, you know it's pretty impressive, but it doesn't reflect the entrance into the profession the planning schools if anything um, there's more women on planning courses than there are men and certainly those now coming through our routes to membership um, our licentiate members who are effectively sort of they're not students but they're not chartered they're, they're in that process of collecting the evidence base on how they meet all the professional competencies um, we've got more women coming through there as well than we have men and so it is. Uh, it's a it's a positive story across the profession, but of course there's always um, sort of pockets within that. So if I just reflect, um, one of the things that we are busy organising at the moment is our annual parliamentary reception with with the who's who of planning. And um, I was really keen to reach out to some of our private sector members, the larger ones. Um, because I'm relatively new in post, so I wanted to write to them and, and have the opportunity to meet with them after the reception to to find out how the RTPR is working for them. Uh, I started out by writing to the top four, over 100 members, and then the next four down, nearly 100 charter members. So they, they, they're big organisations. But not a single managing director or chief executive of one of those top eight is female, currently in the UK. So... 
in terms of the influence at the top in the private sector, there's some way to go. We do see uh, more female directors in planning, but it's that kind of the leadership piece isn't quite there yet. Um, if we go down the next tranche below, there are um, actually some women coming along to that discussion. So the, 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 the director of travel is, is right. Um, in the public sector, it's a bit more of a positive story. Um, we see more uh, senior leaders within the public sector in planning, um, certainly directors of planning, and increasingly we're seeing chief executives now. Um, although overall, if you were to look at local government chief executives in, in the UK, women are still quite underrepresented. There is there's a direction of travel. We've got some strong female um, leaders in uh, London, the South East, and throughout the country now. Um, I'm not talking about political leaders, I'm talking about mm. chief executive leaders and directors of planning. So um, we're going to be doing further research on that. One of the challenges we have is the data is okay to a certain point, um, but when you want to go into a bit more detail, like well, how, what percentage of chief planning officers are female, that data doesn't exist. So we're researching that as a, as a professional body, and mm. uh, we'll be looking to publish more of that in, in, in due course. And it's a mixed, it's a mixed bag. Um, why does all that matter? Well, the vision statement that I took through the board back in September now, because it, you know, the learned society, the professional body we are, we didn't actually have an equalities and inclusivity vision statement. Uh, we all knew it was something that was very important, but the board hadn't actually put the name to something. So I was keen they put their name to something, and um, it goes along the lines of sort of being. Um, we're driven by a, a campaign on being the change you want to see, but actually having plan it, the planning profession and planners being as representative as the communities they represent. It's very simple. But what it, planners of all local government officials um, spend a lot of time out talking to people. It's the mm -hmm. planners that are at the coalface with communities far more so um, than other professions. You wouldn't find the local finance people. And, the accountants going and doing that, uh, for example, or um, yeah, clearly there are other interfaces in local government, but where you're actually going out in the community, planners do a lot of that. Yeah. And local communities want to see, they want to talk to people that feel like them, and, and so they should. So um, there is an opportunity there for us to do far more on that. Mm. Uh, planning does pretty good, but um, we could certainly have more balance at the top and I think my final point on that is and maybe you'll get to it but one of the reasons I came into the profession as a geography graduate um, was because I read a book called Women in Planning by Professor Clara Greed she still practices at the University of West of England she's now I would say someone I'm in touch with um, <laughs> and uh, she knows what I'm what I'm doing now um, but I I read that book and the basic hypothesis was half of the population are women, but it's entirely planned for by men. Slight exaggeration. Mm. But how come... You know, it's a bit like where the world's moved on now with management boards and exec teams. You want diversity in every sense in your decision-making because without it, you don't have challenge, but you don't have the variety of experience, the variety mm. of opportunity. Mm. And so I, I read that as a geography graduate and thought, that's, that's something I want to get involved in and uh, went off to do my masters in in town planning 
the rest Isn't is that fantastic that yeah that you're now in touch with that professor and it's that was such a pivotal pivotal yeah. moment for you yeah i um i've quoted her in the press mm. before about <laughs> that she was a key influencer mm. um on my career so um uh she's she's she still keeps in touch with what's going on mm. and um in my in even before I was working at the Royal Time Planning Institute, she was keeping in touch in my old job at Old Oaken Park Royal Development Corporation, sending me the, her latest books, mm. um, <laughs> and uh, she's still still going for it. and And I think there is an important point to remember what's gone before. Yeah, you know, there there are a number of uh, individuals I can I can credit with having the conversation of gender diversity in, in planning. And it's important we don't just uh, forget forget what's been before, that we recognise that, build on it, and also give some credit um, that the early pioneers, uh, which they were, struggled because they were in a different context to the one that we're in now. And, yeah. and for, for young women now in the profession, it's all there for the taking, and, and they are taking it. Mm. So you, you're noticing some changes in the industry, obviously, barriers to women joining maybe are less so but it's that progression piece that maybe is that maybe is changing over time as you say I think it's 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 partly progression but the more important one for me that I'm really interested in if we can do some research on it is retention Mm. because if I reflect back on my peer group of planners many of whom were uh, more focused on transport planning as as I went back to do further top-up modules at a, at a university on an MSc transport planning and I developed my sort of network of buddies who were all going out into starter careers at the same time. Some of them are there doing really, really well senior jobs, um, but a lot of them have left the industry or moved, moved on mm. or are working in much more junior roles than I know that they could. So what is it about the culture then that's that's a barrier there? Is it the um, working patterns or travel or...? I mean, I, I think this is why we need some proper research on it because I can share what I think is, mm. is the challenge. But I think a lot of the challenges we'll find on retention are no different to surveying, law, yeah. medical, basically any profession where you've got to um, really make... Uh, um, a commitment not only to your own professional development but also um, you know the the perception of some of the hours that might be involved but I do think this is an area where things are moving on and have moved on um, that the flexibility of the workforce partly enabled by digital but partly being enabled through some cultural change is enabling women to uh, be less harsh on themselves you know, we're not always our own best friends at times who think, I can't do it because I won't be able to cope. And I would say to, you know, it's too much, the long hours. I would challenge anybody in that mindset to say, well, how do you know if you don't give it a go? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you can have conversations with employer now. If, if, if you're good, very honest conversations, they'll, they'll want to keep you. So they will find ways to make things work for you. And we all work in a much more agile world way now Mm. anyway that you can find ways to make it work I mean this job is very full on you don't quote any of that but you can see up my whiteboard um, all the trips that I've got this year my hit list for 2019 the immediate urgent priorities all the letters meetings calls that all need to be happened sort of yesterday 
Um, and if I stuck in my old way of working as I did in my 20s, I wouldn't be going home till midnight every night. Mm. Um, but learning to recognise that you're not superwoman and you can um, justify why you do need to leave the office. Um, and this isn't just about having um, kids. This is about care and responsibilities. It's about quality of life. It's about wanting to do other things outside of work. Mm. In my own example, it is about kids because I've got two young children on the age of 10 and I do want to put them to bed two or three times a week. Um, so I do leave. Does that mean I have to work in the evenings? Uh, sometimes, most of the time, yes. But that's my choice because I'm doing a job I love. Mm. And um, it's not the same every night. But that culture of not having to be seen to be at your desk till 7 o'clock every night, I think that's changed. Mm. Mm. And I think where it hasn't, um, those are the employers that will be losing some of the best in class because... Um, the people that can, are trusted to demonstrate they can deliver on what they've been asked to deliver. It's just they might need to work in a slightly agile well, way. I mean, this isn't just a planning point. I, mums at my uh, kids' schools, you know, some of them are really successful city lawyers. And they also want to put their kids to bed, but then they work in the evening. Mm. And they might have to work late, but that's their choice. That's the profession that they've done and they're doing jobs they love. But okay. that would have been unthinkable five years ago for, yeah. for a corporate lawyer to leave the office at five o'clock to pick her kids up or put them to bed and then log on at eight o'clock at night and work for two or three hours. Well, if they were doing it, it'd be a bit more under the radar than it is now. But now, but it's, now it's, it's, it's accepted. Yeah. So I think, the, I think the conversation's changed, which is That's fantastic. good to hear. That's good to hear. You've talked a little bit there about role models as well. Um, and I know you're an active member of a number of different... I think a number of different networks for women in the industry or the broader industry. I and mean, we know each other through uh, the Women in Transport yes. network. How important do you think those networks, their role is in helping continue to change the landscape as you've described it? I think it's incredibly important. And I say to young professionals or anybody really starting out their career at any stage, networking, having your own network and and, and speaking to a, a broad network of people is really important for your own development, your own mindfulness, your own career progression. But actually, um, it, it's just... I mean, I, I got into uh, volunteering with the RTPI because I, I heard some pretty inspirational speakers that were basically saying things that I now say to young professionals, which is, I know you think you're busy, but trust me, you'll never have so much free time in your life, ever volunteer 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 it's a great way to meet a broad section of people who can help you think in a different way um, but also add broad development opportunities and so I got involved through the RTPI as a student member on council I ended up establishing the, the young planners network as it was then and becoming convener of it and it was the most phenomenal time I'm going back over 20 years now that some of the people I met who are now still in industry, I'm, um, I, they're, they're friends for life, but they're also peer group. Uh, one of them, he's actually godfather to my son, <laughs> and these are people I used to run the Young Planners Conferences with over 20 years ago. Um, and the, the, the networking, is, it's, it's, it can be hard sometimes to take yourself out of the comfort, comfort zone, um, but my advice is don't just network with people you feel comfortable with, 
get yourself out there into different arenas. Um, yes, I do women in transport. I do women in planning. I'm speaking at a launch of women in planning West Midlands this week. <laughs> Fantastic. They're all sprouting up everywhere. But I'm speaking to the converter there. I get involved in women in construction, women in engineering, and, and and actually it's not just about the gender issue, I know we're talking about that today, but um, it is, uh, or maybe we're, we're talking broader, but it's um, BAME in property um, and planning out, um, and it's recognising that there are a whole heap of diversity issues yeah. there, and engaging with all of those, and getting them up on the mainstream and um, and having conversations very publicly which of course digital media is a fantastic gift yeah. um, now that you can have um, an evening seminar as we did hosted by one of our planning consultancy of the year Deloitte uh, we did it back on 1st of November and I got the chief planning officer the founder of planning out the founder of Bayman Property the London chair of women in planning and myself on a panel event um, talking about how we can make the planning profession more representative of okay. the population and that's so powerful because in the olden days you'd just be talking to 100 people in the room great yeah. event yeah now you can talk to a much broader audience over twitter over linkedin yeah and reaches. it can be recorded yeah and it's and it's there forevermore so i'm glad you've mentioned of diversity in its broader a broader sense um obviously it's, it's great to hear so much about how the gender agenda is probably progressing within this industry what about the yeah so what about the other some other areas what's what what would you say is the biggest challenge for your industry it's getting a broader entrance uh, cohort if you like into the industry and i should just say that planning is actually probably best in class for the built environment professions mm. if we benchmark ourselves against surveyors architects engineers um, it's always been quite good at attracting a diverse um, entrance and we are now up to 7% of our our members are BAME, um, 10% of our student members are BAME. So we know the direction of travel is going, you know, and of course we're UK-wide international, mm. so um, we, 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 we're not, uh, if, if we were just purely a London-based organisation, that'd be pretty awful because... Sort of, I think pretty much 50% of the London population is BAME. Mm. I, I think that's right. You can correct me if I've got that statistic. I've got that stat right up I my sleeve. I think it's sort of 40 to 50%. Mm. Um, UK wide, it's obviously low. We're, we're on a trajectory. The, the thing is, though, the traditional routes into planning, going through the planning schools, um, can sometimes be a bit of a barrier. One of the kind of gifts of those had a bad press on apprenticeship levy is large employers have to put money away in a, a war chest for apprenticeship levy they can only spend it on apprenticeships so this has driven an opportunity um, for us to establish a, a chartered level seven chartered town planner apprenticeship so that they could spend that money and um, if they don't spend it probably go back to treasury on growing talent um, and what this does is provide an opportunity to attract new entrants into the profession um, the employer whether it's public or private sector will pay for them to go through the university course but mm -hmm. also work with them and then they get chartership at the end of it and mm -hmm. you know you've got an oven ready town planner and that opens up a new route into planning um, an opportunity for greater diversity of the planning entrance into 
and and the reason that is a, it's more attractive to perhaps groups that might not have otherwise been thinking about entering into a degree course situation etc um and quite frankly the level of debt that you've got to take on yeah. these days you know so it always used to be the case that you know graduate schemes would help people come into the profession and that kind of lost its way in government budget cuts there's an opportunity here to reframe that so we we think the apprenticeship is a really good way of increasing the diversity yeah yeah Um, but so role models which is why um we through our recent elections really drove um the kind of be the change you want to see campaign which was if you care about diversity why not stand for our general assembly why not stand for our um our, uh, our board of trustees and we had a significant increase in the diversity of our um, entrance in and I, I'm just bringing up my phone I want to show you in a moment a photo of the latest cohort that came into our general assembly on Friday we welcomed them here for a um, induction and on that particular day I was an ethnic minority um, because mm-hmm. I had a, such diversity of the new entrants coming on GA, um, it, it quite it was right. quite quite phenomenal, um, and um, you know I, I appreciate this as a podcast, but you can see <laughs> the picture of, yeah. and these are the rising stars of our industry, um, and it's so important that we get them visible for the profession. Um, to inspire people to come in they're our ambassadors mm. Mm. and um, that wasn't us going out and specifically targeting people it was just about changing the conversation about we want you to represent the profession yeah. and these are the sort of they've been qualified for five plus years so if we're increasing the diversity coming in um, through students already we couple it up with what I think the apprenticeship levy um their charter town planner apprenticeship mm. can deliver um it's really important to get those role models mm. up speaking mm. in the in the institute um, and then i suppose the next most important thing is keeping those people in the industry as you well, say retaining it's retaining talent them. interestingly our membership retention is 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 very very good when, when you become a professional planner yeah you tend to stay a professional mm-hmm. planner um because you work so hard to get those letters after you know but it's that sort of early part of the career to the mid-range where you're going through um yeah we, we seem to lose people along, or in the past i've lost people along the way and i mainly speak from personal experience mm. some of my some of my peer group who just aren't practicing now and, and they many of them were far smarter and more talented than i was they could be sitting here doing the role I'm doing, but mm. they're not. Mm. And, and and this is why I want some research on the mm. on, on the why. Mm. Okay. Well, let's just go back one step then, if you don't mind, to your last role. So you mentioned you've been chief exec here for nine eight months. Now, nine, eight, nine months. Still quite new. So uh, chief executive of Old Oak and Park Royal Development Corporation, uh, yes. previously known as ODPC. Um, yep. Again, this is a this is a massive this is a massive job for for anybody to take on. I think developing a whole new community in a in a part of London, northwest London, the only part I think where the crossrail and HS2 intersect. That's it. You've got the strapline. <laughs> the only place in the country where yeah. the two meet. Six hundred and fifty hectares and something like I, I found. I don't know if this stat is still correct. Eleven thousand new homes. Well, that was in um, that was in in the pipeline. There's capacity for twenty five and a half thousand. Wow. So it's, so it's, a, it's huge, a huge, huge yeah. 
piece of work for you for, to be the, the you know the yes. chief exec and the, and the flag bearer for what was that what was that like as a career move for you um did you find it cha- as challenging as it sounds well it does sound challenging but I think this goes back to you just take you take one day at a time so I I was doing my dream job before I was head of transport uh, working for the deputy mayor for transport in the mayor's office I'm a planner but transport was my first love and and um, I was on maternity leave the second time around and saw that the then mayor, Boris Johnson, had launched this new development corporation, or sorry, wanted to launch a new development corporation. I remember thinking about it while I was probably sat on the sofa breastfeeding, like <laughs> watching the news, thinking, wow, transport planning, programme management, we've got it all there, that sounds amazing. Oh, well, don't worry about that, um, you know, because you've got, your, you've got the job you're doing and you're going to have your hands full anyway when you go back to work. And... Um, I got approached about, well, why not think about throwing your hat in the ring to be the director to, to set this new uh, organisation up? And I thought, well, what have I got to lose? And I think that's an important point here. Um, as women, we uh, we need underrepresented groups, you've got to think about putting yourself in your discomfort zone and what have I got to lose? What's yeah, the worst that can yeah. happen? I can get some interview experience. So, And you did just mention there that somebody prompted you. Or, you know, put that under your nose and, yeah. you know, whoever that person was. That does quite often seem to happen with women going into very senior roles. It's often, speaking to, when I'm speaking to people, it's somebody yes. suggesting it and saying, you know, you could do this. You could do that. And that's a little bit of one another word, the sisterhood. It was another senior woman, actually. Okay. Um, and I think there is an important, there's an important point mm. there. It doesn't have to be a woman, but sort of, mm. you know, recognising talent and thinking, you could throw yourself in and I'd never been a director before so I thought well um well let's give it a go so I you know interviewed when my daughter was five and a half months old actually um but anyway cut long story short I got the I got the job to set it up very exciting um challenging time but I thought this is such a great opportunity even if I only do the job for five and a half months we've got to launch it the following April I this is worth it on my CV yeah um it's not just about me. You've got whatever support you've got at home. You've got to. It's got to work for everybody. Are we up for this? Yes. Let's. Okay. I'm going to do it. Um, I didn't think for a moment that I would then go through a process of getting the chief executive's role. <laughs> I didn't even know at the start that one was required. You know, it was sort of just going to eyes mm. wide open. Of course, the act requires that there is a chief executive, um, and um, I got a chance to to play around in that role on an interim basis for a, for a month and then I went through an external process and and I did get it um, and um, you know without doubt that was um, a career defining moment for me because I thought whatever I do in this role and however long I'm doing it for and whatever else happens no one can ever take away from me the fact that I got it um, and uh, it, it was a challenge and a push, uh, right? And and uh, as this job is, but but I just taking a step back. I'd never been a director before. I'd only done that for six months, and then I was um, stepping up to be chief executive. <laughs> Even by my standards, that's quite extreme. Um, so I was well supported, and I think there's an important point here. If you, you should ask for help, it's okay to ask for help. I had a coach and a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, right. and uh, that is, in fact, it's your right to ask for help mm-hmm. if you find yourself in this situation. Um, and um, you, you just, you, 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 you just got to um, take the 
seize the moment and make the most of it and recognise what you can do and what you can't do and, and, and just think for me the trick was well I might only be doing this for a little while mm. so let's go for it and make the most of it um, and um, of course then when I got the job permanent I'm like well I may only be doing this for a little while because we had a mayoral election coming up the year after we launched in 2015 mm. so it's just another mind trick I may only do this until next May mm. I may get the sack because mm. I'm working for one mayor and I might be working for another mayor so let's make the most of it <laughs> so you know that's that that was a that was a good tech good technique yeah. um, it's make the most of it because time is you, you, there's no good planning for some sunny day because it never it never comes you take the opportunity that you've got then because you never know when you'll be asked mm. again mm. Um, or given that opportunity mm. and you'll never be a hundred percent ready or right or the perfect fit um, but you know, guess what? Guys have known that for decades, if not centuries. <laughs> we just haven't been good at recognising it ourselves. And it's okay if you don't have all the answers. Um, you just need to know where to get them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's so much good advice there, Victoria. I wish we could. I wish we had a bit longer and we had time to go back over all your. You could give me some of your insights from all your other jobs, but um, we're out of time. Gonna, we are talk, kind of out of time. But I just want to summarise your because there was loads of great little nuggets of wisdom in there um so we have you know ask for help find a coach or a men- and or a mentor both and, ideally and both yeah and there's lots i'd encourage anybody out there to to just have a do a small amount of research and find out what the difference is between a coach and a mentor because they do different things um equally valuable use networks develop your own as well develop your own networks um I think the biggest thing you're saying is like looking out for opportunities and having a bit of flexibility in responding to opportunities as and when they arise, maybe. Don't, uh, yeah, seize the day and, yeah. and don't ex- don't ever think there's a right time and it's not now because what's the worst that can happen? Mm. You get a rejection. Mm. And it's good to get rejections. I've had them throughout my career. I wouldn't want anyone to think, listening to this, that... I've always got every job I've got gone for. I haven't. I wouldn't imagine that because you're somebody who's taken a few risks. So risks don't always pay off, do they? You have to be prepared for them to... Taken a few risks, taken yeah. a few knocks. But what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. And actually, uh, in a positive way, it's it's good to take a few knocks because you appreciate then what, what you have. Mm. Absolutely. And then the other final, maybe strong thing that I'm, that's coming through to me is about being a role model for other people. So the professor who wrote the book for yes. you, that, you that, that, you know, was a pivotal moment for you, the person who um, pushed that job and yeah, under your nose, you don't, and it doesn't have to be a woman doing that. And men can be that, can be that role model too. So that, that sounds like another strong theme from your experience always look forwards but don't forget to look over your shoulder about who you can help along yeah. the way yeah. there's plenty of work for us all out there um, believe you me so think about who you can help and give um, that opportunity or advice to um, in a way that you may have been helped thanks Victoria I think we'll leave it there that's wonderful thanks for your time thank you <laughs> I hope this episode gave you some ideas that you can replicate in your own organisation. We'd love it if you could leave a review and also subscribe to Reworked so you don't miss our next episode. Diversity and inclusion at work has never been higher up the agenda. The EW Group team includes learning and development specialists, facilitators, researchers and analysts. 
all with deep expertise in equality, diversity and inclusion. If you think we can help you rework your own culture, please get in touch.